Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and it is DFS Day here at the PFF Studios in Cincinnati, Ohio, the football capital of the world, some, or at least I say, you know, whatever. So DFS, as always, going to break down the DraftKings main slate, looking at cash games and GPP contests, and as always, I'm joined by none other than PFF's own Andrew Erickson. You might know him as the Prop Prophet. Andrew, happy week 14. Happy week 14 indeed. You know, my Patriots are in first place. You got to love it. And for some reason, I decided this would be the day. I don't have the Tom Brady jersey up, despite the fact that I'm going to be Tom Brady's biggest fan this week when them, with them playing the Buffalo Bills. I, look, if the Patriots play the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, I might just have to like quit my job because I don't know if I can take two weeks of those freaking one storylines after another. The master meets the apprentice, like all this crap. But we don't have to worry about that for a while. Again, looking at main slate only. That means no Thursday night football, no Sunday or Monday night football. Just looking at those afternoon contests. We're going to start things off with cash games with this. Head-to-head, 50-50. We're just trying to score the most points possible without really worrying about ownership or anything like that. So, Andrew... First of all, a ton of this is going to come down to injuries, which I would invite everyone to go check out our Friday evening. And it's also, you know, available Saturday morning. Whenever you all listen to it, podcast where Andrew, myself, and Dwayne McFarland go through each and every fantasy relevant injury around the uh, world, specifically the NFL. So, Andrew, like looking at the key injuries here, we got Keenan Allen and Mike Williams on the COVID list. Now, Mike has not tested positive yet. He was just a close contact and it happened on Monday. So, he has a chance to be able to play as long as he keeps returning negative tests and seemingly Keenan has a chance to play if he can return to positive tests so if they're both in I don't think you need to like necessarily roster either of them I think Eckler's in a great spot we'll talk about him in a little bit but if both Keenan and Mike are in like if you want to pay up for Keenan okay but probably don't need to whatever if they're both out now all of a sudden we got Jalen Guyton at 3.4k Josh Palmer at 3k even Jared Cook 3.2k these are now very you know relevant guys for cash games because that sort of salary flexibility is just really uh, lacking on this slate as a whole if one of Keenan and one of Mike is out I think the other guy that is in now becomes a must play and also Jared Cook and those other receivers would be uh, more uh reasonable i think uh punt plays here in cash so that wrapped that up about right andrew there's a lot of moving parts here but i think that's basically how the uh, los angeles Chargers situation is going right now yeah and, and i think too i think that the the giants dst becomes a, a punt play option i mean if, if justin herbert doesn't have his top two wide receivers i think that he's been volatile enough this year like from an up and down perspective of his production that you know the Giants' defense, not great, but not the league's worst defense. I mean, they gave some trouble to some other quarterbacks earlier in the year. You know, Tom Brady didn't exactly have his best day against the New York Giants. So it wouldn't really surprise me. I mean, if if Justin Herbert is trotting out Jalen Guyton, Josh Palmer, and Jared Cook as his top three receivers, obviously Eckler will be um, the most heavily involved guy. But I, I don't think it's a smash spot for Herbert. And I could see the Giants' defense at least paying off their $2,000 or $2,300 salary. Yeah, they are awfully cheap there. Again, a few other injuries to keep an eye on. Elijah Mitchell and the concussion protocol still. And Shanahan said, you know, irritation in the knee after an MRI, uh, Andrew. I'm not sure specifics on that. Doesn't sound good, though. I would sure, you know, prefer for his knee not to be irritated. And then also uh, we got to look at Julio Jones, who is actually coming back from IR. He has started off the week with consecutive practices. So I think if Mitchell is, you know, if he's in there, he's going to be a reasonable enough guy if you really want to pay up uh, to acquire his services at 6,700. Obviously, he's pushing for 30 touches more weeks than not. If he's out, though, then we get Jermichael Hasty all the way down there at 4K. So, Andrew, like, Hasty, he's not just going to be a one-for-one replacement with Gibson, but I think they trust him more in the passing game than someone like Trey Sermon was. He was in there. So, I could see him having... Because, I mean, when Sermon was in there, it was more or less like a one-two punch with him and juice check. And they also had Debo Samuel stealing away a lot of touches. Like... From a season-long perspective, where do you think you'd kind of be ranking Hasty if Mitchell's out? I'm kind of seeing it more in like the – he's not like a one-for-one replacement. It's not like a Daryl Henderson, Sonny Michelle, or a Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison situation. With that said, I think we'll be hard-pressed to rank more than, you know, 15, 16 guys ahead of Hasty. Yeah, I think that Hasty would definitely fall into the back-end RB2 conversation. Yeah. And we've seen him involved in the passing game, working on third downs with the other running backs. So that in itself is, is really valuable. Like the fact that your running back is involved in the passing game, we've seen running backs like a Jamal Williams 
you know, dud out because they just get carries. They don't catch any passes. They don't score. Okay, sick. I got seven fantasy points. Like that doesn't help me, despite the fact that he had 18 touches in his last game. So the fact that Hasty has a pass catching floor helps him. What regardless of how the game's, I mean, they're playing the Bengals, so there's no guarantee that they're playing with a massive lead. They could fall behind. Okay, Hasty's involved, and we did see Hasty involved in the goal line. You know, at times this year as well. So he has touchdown equity. So. Through him having all facets of the game, I know that we still have question marks about like if Jeff Wilson is going to play too. I know he's dealing yeah. with an injury, so I think worst case scenario, like Wilson will split carries with Hasty, but Hasty will have the opportunity to catch passes, which I think gives him a slight edge. I should have mentioned that I'm kind of under, you know, again, we need to see how these injuries play out. That's why we go over Friday afternoon. But with Wilson, they're saying he re-aggravated the same damn knee that kept him out that long. I guess he did start the week off with a limited practice. So, yeah, if Wilson plays, Hasty's certainly not a must-start by any stretch. But if we lose Wilson and we lose Mitchell and even Debo Samuel maybe remain sidelined with that groin, you know, there's one football to go around and suddenly there's not that many guys to give it to in San Francisco. So with those kind of out of the way, we'll get to our usual cash game roster construction. Andrew, I saw, you know, we always, we try to prepare, try to do our best, you know, to give the people everything. And I saw you had Taysom Hill as your cash QB. And at first I was like, no, I don't want Taysom. He's playing with freaking mallet finger. He can't throw the ball as it is. How is he going to throw the ball when now his throwing finger is messed up? With that said, man, all the ones we could potentially even pay up to, like Mahomes, okay, he's playing the Raiders, but he's also 8K, and we've seen that floor over the past you know, two months. Josh Allen has the Buccaneers. Brady has the Bills. Lamar has the Browns. Herbert's not going to have his weapons. Dak's on the road against Washington. Russ has been up or down. I started going through all the higher-priced QBs, and I'm not really seeing one that I think is worthwhile paying up for necessarily this week. So I guess my question is, why taste him at 5,600 over Cam Newton at 5,400? because I know Taysom will have more rush attempts and I think the Jets matchup is probably a little better. We know how bad they are against running backs, which Taysom basically is. But man, like Cam, at least we kind of think he can throw the ball like more so than Taysom, man. So how how do you uh, kind of shake it out between Taysom and Cam this week? I don't know, man. I think it's pretty close between Taysom and Cam right now between who can throw (laughs) throw a better better ball. And honestly, it's probably a little bit of recency bias. Like the fact that I did see Taysom at least you know, put up the solid production. I know a lot of it came on that Deontay Harris, but the fact that he rushed for a hundred yards, like I don't, yeah. I don't know if Cam is going to. We like Cam's touchdown equity more, I think, from a rushing perspective than the fact that I don't know if he's going to get a hundred rushing yards. Where you have Taysom Hill playing the Jets, like that's what they're bad against. Like they're bad against the run. Like that's what they've been terrible against running backs all season long. He gets and he has taste, or excuse me, he has Alvin Kamara. Like he has the best football player that's involved in the passing game, and I think that. I'm not as concerned about Kamara, like in terms of you know, his ability to be worked in the passing game. Like Taysom Hill is throwing the ball to Ty Montgomery plenty of times. Like Ty Montgomery was working out of the backfield. So I would assume that Kamara takes over that role. I mean, who else is he going to throw the football to? He lost his best wide receiver, Deontay Harris, to the suspension. The best receiver on the New Orleans Saints. Everyone saw it last Thursday night. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. okay. <laughs> so that's kind of why I lean on T. I mean, the sample size with him, five starts in the last. Going dating back to last year, 22 fantasy points per game. I, I mean, he's always delivered. It's it's one of those things where it's like with Hurts, it's like, uh, you know, it's ugly. It's like I know that he's going to burn me one of these times, and then he just never does. Like he just continues to keep doing it because of the rushing equity. So I like him in this matchup. He has Alvin Kamara back in the lineup, so I think that gives him an edge over Cam, who doesn't have McCaffrey. Like we yeah. saw him play without McCaffrey in one game, and that was the game that he finished as the quarterback 30 on the week. I will say with that game, I mean, between Walker and Cam, they were literally pressured on 50% of their combined dropbacks. Like, they had no chance out there. And in this matchup against the uh, Atlanta Falcons, like, we are looking at truly one of the worst pressuring units in the league. I believe they actually are dead last in PFS pass rush grade. So, if there is going to be a bounce back, it'd be nice. But, yeah, losing McCaffrey really does not help. I mean, that was a pretty easy, you know, eight checkdowns to get, like, 80 receiving yards for whoever is going to be under center. Any other matchup, I think I would still go with Cam, but facing that Jets defense, I think we're probably rolling with Taysom. But if we can get some of this true salary saving, like if we can get one of the Chargers receivers or maybe even Hasty at 4K, I think I would be trying to go up and get bigger and better things. 
But looking at running back, we've already talked about Hasty. I think, uh, you know, if you want to go ahead and pay up to get Austin Eckler or uh, Alvin Kamara at the top of the salary scale, I think it's doable uh, this week. I was able to get uh, Eckler into my first initial cash build with not a single dollar to spare, uh, which I love when that happens. Otherwise, though, Andrew, I think we're going to want to be going down the scale just a little bit to that 6K range. We got Josh Jacobs, 6,200. I believe he had 27 targets his entire rookie season. He has 29 since the Raiders like week eight by so they're throwing him the ball now need to keep an eye on Rashard but Kenyon Drake is at least out of the picture he was the bigger nuisance then we also got for a few hundred dollars cheaper Antonio Gibson at just 6k JD McKissick I believe got back to a limited practice so we need to keep an eye on that still in a good spot though at home against the Cowboys so how I guess how important are those injuries to you with Gibson and Jacobs and let's say you know in a worst case scenario where McKissick is back where Richard is back are you shying away from them or are you pretty comfortable with Gibson and Jacobs uh, this week at the price point? Yeah, I think for me it's that I if I have to pick between you Jacobs and Gibson I, I I think that you should pay up for running back this week personally in the cash games I mean like we talked about Eckler I really like Leonard Fournette as well I mean I mean the Bills dude like. Dude, they can't stop the run. Like, they, they've just been absolutely destroyed by teams that decided to run the football. And maybe Brady and the Buccaneers look at that. And they're like, well, we could just literally pound it with Fournette like we did against the Colts and just stomp these guys. Like, maybe we don't need to throw it as aggressively as they've done in the past. And, and Fournette is also super involved in the passing game. So I think that he's just in a really good spot down there in the 7K range. But among the 6K backs, I think I like Jacobs a little bit more than Antonio Gibson just because, like, dude, like, we're finally seeing, like, Jacobs be a three-down workhorse yeah. back. Like, it's so crazy how, like, we're obsessed. Like, it was a foregone conclusion. Like, Jacobs, two-down grinder. Like, that's why he's going in the fifth round. Like, don't draft him. He's going to suck when they fall behind. And, like, I don't know how it happened, but we're here. Like, like we're he's here. Getting, getting targets. And it, this wasn't even, like, related to the Drake injury. Like, he was getting targets anyway. And it's just all kind of coming together. You know, Rashard is on the COVID list. You know, he's missing time. So, like, he is a legit workhorse. And I don't think it's reflected in his salary at 6,200. Now, Gibson has obviously gotten his boost in the passing game over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, it's super – it's more secure when McKissick isn't playing. So, I do have, like – some reservations of okay like if dallas jumps out to a big lead like are we going to see more mckissick like that that is still something that i do fear a little bit where with jacobs like i'm not afraid anymore like <laughs> like I'm, I'm ready to embrace josh jacobs in my life i feel like as that guy was so high on entering his second season to finally see it like yeah. transpire it's just it's amazing so if i can only pick one of those guys I'm, i am trying to get the extra 200 to get up to jacobs but i think if you're going with a 8K running back in Eckler, I think that Jacobs and Gibson are probably the next two guys you want to uh, to play at running back. And that's always been it with Jacobs. I don't know why it took them this long. I mean, after they drafted him, I think Mike Mayock like literally came out and was saying like he's a three down back. He can catch, he can pass block, he can run. We wouldn't have used a first round pick on the guy if he couldn't. It's like, well, you, you did, man. And then you didn't use him as a three down back for two years. So I know he's been banged up a little bit here and there, but like pass catching was perceived to be one of his strengths at Alabama. And we've seen him flash that ability where it's, you know, it's a similar thing to like guys like Derrick Henry and, um, you know, Jonathan Taylor, where Okay, I'm not saying Jacobs is Austin Eckler good as a pass catcher, but when you can get the ball in your best player's hands out in space, usually good things are going to happen. So, yeah, I, I agree that Fournette should be someone that we probably try to force um, into these lineups more times than not. Just, again, going through the wide receivers as we'll get to. I don't know that there's one that we really need to pay up to pay up for. I know Chris Goblin, 7,100. He's been doing his thing. I think CeeDee Lamb is set up exceptionally well. Last week was the first time he played the majority of his snaps in the like heavy majority majority of his snaps in the slot he's facing the bottom five defense in the league in Washington in terms of receiving yards and I believe even receptions allowed two receivers out of the slot so I love them in tournaments but yeah Andrew I just think there's so much value kind of starting at Hunter Renfro at 6.1k down to about Cole Beasley at 5k where we got Julio at 5.4 you know I mentioned Renfro top 12 and four of the last five weeks since Henry Ruggs is out of the picture and Cole Beasley like when you look at what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have done this year they run more cover two cover four cover six than i was all but one other team so those are you know coverages where you have two high safeties you're really trying to take away that deep ball and you are running zone coverage in it and 
against those looks, Cole Beasley has been the Bills' most productive receiver by far. He's out-targeted Diggs by a good 11 or 12 targets this year, specifically against the zone. And like, okay, I know he's a short white guy, but that doesn't mean he can't have some upside. Like, look what Hunter Renfro has been doing, okay? I get it. They're probably not going to be ripping off like 70-yard explosion gains to the house, but, you know, you look at the fantasy points for game and you see Hunter Renfro, that little doofus-looking guy holding up the grapes in a bag, is averaging more fantasy points for game than DK freaking Metcalf. So, it doesn't really matter the style that they pick up the yards, you know, in a full point per reception format like we have here on DraftKings, having these slot receivers that, you know, give me a slot receiver that has the has a chance to catch eight to 10 passes over the guy that, you know, might only catch four passes, but has a chance for one of them to go 50 yards. I think we can, you know, especially in cash games, feel a lot safer about some of the floors there. So um, also I mentioned Julio Jones, if he's going to be back in the picture, 5,400 against the Jaguars is just a slap in the face for someone like Julio. We need to continue to you know monitor the news, make sure he's not going to be eased back in and things like that. But a lot of uh, good options there. So, Andrew, I know you got a couple other guys to go off your chest. Uh, T. Higgins, Stephon Diggs, potentially. We can pay up there a little more, and we can also get gross. I see you have uh, you know decided to go on the dark side. We've got Laquan Trevwell on the show sheet. Let the people know what you're thinking here. All right, so... Stefan Diggs, I think, makes sense. I, so what we're seeing a little bit more of with the Bills offense, you know, during the start of the year, it was it was more spread out between the targets. You know, they, they were getting guys like Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley more involved. Like, that's why we were, we were, like, starting those guys in fantasy. Like, we felt good about Sanders and about Beasley, but, like, those guys have just, like, fallen off over the last couple of weeks. You know, sub-15% target shares for both those players, and it's been more concentrated on Diggs, who has a 27% target share over the last four weeks, and it's actually been Diggs and Dawson Knox. Like those have been the top two wide or pass catching options for Josh Allen in recent memory. So those are the guys I like, I like a lot in tournaments to stack with Josh Allen, like fading the other ancillary receivers going after Diggs and Dawson Knox. I think they're in good spots there. So Diggs would be the guy I would try to pay up for in cash. Uh, you mentioned Godwin T Higgins. Like, I mean, T Higgins just has like a massive target share in this offense, 25% last three games he's the second highest ranked air yard share at 41 percent like i know that we're all enamored with jamar chase and his big play upside but like the dude has just not been he's not making the big plays over the last couple weeks and then that's because he hasn't had the opportunity to just kind of a part of natural regression like the guy wasn't going to sustain his his pace to start the year this is kind of what's happening but t higgins has always been the guy that's gotten the most targets in office when he's been healthy he's led the team in target share of the season so i think that he and he's starting He's finally starting to put it together from a production standpoint. So I think T. Higgins is really as safe as it gets. The 49ers allowed the fifth most fantasy points to wide receivers over the last four weeks. They just have really bad cornerbacks. You go to PFF's wide receiver cornerback matchup chart. You know, the top guys, you got T. Higgins up there and you got Jamar Chase up there. So yeah. that worked last week. T. Higgins was at the top of that last week against the Chargers. And he obviously had a massive game. So I think you should continue to play T. Higgins. And yeah, Laquan, Laquan Treadwell. Real quick, real quick, Andrew, because I, I like the Higgins call. 10 games together. Higgins actually has 81 targets and Chase is down there at 73. I'm not, you know, Chase, he'll get the more fantasy friendly air yards than that. I don't think we're disagreeing there, but it really is far more 1A, 1B at a minimum. If not, you know, just... 1A, 1A, basically, with these guys, as opposed to what we thought we were seeing in the first six weeks of the year. And yeah, can't say enough about these outside corners. Josh Norman, who might actually be asked to shadow uh, Chase in this one because he actually did track... He tracked DK Metcalf last week, man. I cannot believe they did not go after that more often because he is PFF's 10th worst overall cornerback among 124 qualified players. And then we have another guy, it looks like, named Ambry Thomas out there, who in his limited time has allowed 5.3 yards per coverage snap now he's only been out there for a little bit but that is uh you know horrific if i uh could put it uh lightly so with that in mind higgins and even chase in tournaments man i think they are guys we're gonna want in a lot of lineups and that's a, that's a fun game Bengals of 49ers i think a lot of game stack opportunities all right you know andrew i gave you a chance if you want to just move on people might forget you're trying to talk about laquan trebwell but Let's go for it. Let's see what happens. Look, look, okay. So we know that Jalen Guyton might become a thing in cash games at 3,400. But for me, I've always tried to fade away from, you know, these inefficient backup receivers that come in to larger roles because I'm just like, dude, like you have to earn the targets. Like Jalen Guyton has the second worst target rate per route run of any player this year that has run at least around 60% of their team's dropbacks. Like he doesn't get targeted. And part of it's because he's playing with alpha receivers, but 
Part of it's also because I just don't think he's really that good. Like, it's him and Demarcus Robinson. Now, if Tyreek Hill goes down, are we jamming in Demarcus Robinson? No. Like, like so that's kind of the thing I'm looking at with Jalen Guyton. So, at the same price, Laquan Treadwell is $3,400 on DraftKings, and he's shown us that he can earn targets in his offense. 21% target share over the last two weeks. He has the best matchup you could ask for against Tennessee Titans, ranked last in fantasy points per game, two wide receivers. And I don't know, I'm subscribed to some like weird Jacksonville thing on my email. And I got a, I got a thing from them being talking about Laquan Treadwell and his extreme work ethic. And that's why he's having success that he's finally become a starter. So dude, I, I'm buying it a little bit. I think that, you know, we've seen him get the targets and we haven't seen that with Jalen Guyton. So I don't see why we should shy away from a player that has shown that he can earn targets. He has Trevor Lawrence's trust, which I can't say that Marvin Jones does or LaVisca Chenault. Like those guys are just out there. Like they don't get the ball where Treadwell's been the starter for two weeks and he's led the team in targets. So I think the matchup is there and he's cheap. I mean, I like getting off of Guyton. I think all those points were great. But let's just get off of that whole group then. Why do we need a guy that has 62 yards and 53 yards, hasn't scored an end zone, and hasn't scored a touchdown in probably a decade? Okay, you know, now I'm just being a little bit of a dick. So <laughs> not to come down too hard on trouble. He had a play last week. Okay, he did score two touchdowns for Atlanta last year. My bad, uh, Laquan. But if you look at it last week, he did have that one catch and run where I was like, oh, like who who's getting that yak there? He looks pretty good out there. We know it's not LaVisca Chenault, but it actually was. Um, <laughs> Uh, Laquan Treble. So that was good to see. It's just like, I don't want a Jacksonville Jaguars player in my cash lineup at all. If I was going to get gross, Andrew, I would actually like to go to the full men 3k Brashad Perryman who just so happens to find himself as a starting receiver in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense he played 84 percent of the snaps last week it is no longer Tyler Johnson's starting job there and we had Bruce Arians come out and say he had a couple good weeks of practice and he brings an explosiveness uh so you know we got these rumors swirling that Antonio Brown could potentially be released I, I don't know like we'll we'll see what happens with that but you know I unironically Andrew picked up Perryman in a couple like 14 team leagues this week ahead of the fantasy playoffs because, hey, you could do worse than having someone that's going to be spending 80% of the snaps on the field with the GOAT, Tom Brady. And don't look now, but that uh, Buccaneers end of the season schedule certainly seems pretty smashable. So I think the answer to these low-priced receivers and cash is just no, but Trebwell and I think Perryman, good pivots off Guyton and Palmer um, in tournaments. I almost prefer Palmer to Guyton and cash if we are going to go that route, though, by the way. Let's just save the 400 bucks. Yeah, I mean, they're both going to be, I mean, what you're paying for is just a guy that's going to be on the field for, you know, the majority of snaps with Justin Herbert. Like, yeah. there's no reason to think, as I kind of talked about, like, that Jalen Guyton is just the clear favorite to see more targets than Josh Palmer if they're on the field at the same amount of right. time. And if you actually look at, on a, ter uh, a per route run basis per target, Josh Palmer's actually commanded more targets on a route uh, per route run basis than Jalen Guyton this year. So, if anything, like, that's information that tells you that Palmer should actually see more targets than Jalen Guyton. That's it's kind of happened last year uh, with the Chargers. I think like when Mike Williams, or maybe it was Keenan Allen, I think at the end of the year got hurt and like everyone was on Tyron Johnson over Jalen Guyton. And I never understood why. Like I, I wasn't on like Guyton over Johnson, but the like implication that Johnson was for sure going to be the guy over Guyton didn't make sense to me because they really seem to use these complimentary receivers, you know, not really featuring one over the other. So good point there. Tight end. We're going, we're going Jared Cook. We can't do our guy, James O'Shaughnessy. I know we want to go under 3K, Andrew, but we got to go Jared Cook at 3.2, right? Yeah, I think Jared Cook's the, the only thing that I would maybe be concerned about with Cook is if I'm looking at my cash lineup and I'm like, oh, I got Eckler, I got Mike Williams, like, oh, I have Jared. Like, if I'm like, if, uh, if Keenan and Mike are both back, then no, maybe. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. So it, it depends on like how many chargers I, I have in my lineup, uh, I think can make a difference, especially because Cook, yes, he is like the starting tight end for the chargers, but they do use Donald Parham. They use Steven Anderson, just super annoying. But again, his price point is super cheap at 3,200. So I also mentioned Austin Hooper here because he, he doesn't have any competition for tight end. Like Njoku is out. Um, Harrison Bryant is hurt. Like they had to sign a bunch of guys for the practice squad and it's a good match against the Ravens. So Austin Hooper's gross because he doesn't have upside because he's just this fall. He's basically the Jason Witten archetype of, of tight end where you just kind of run and fall down. But there is really no competition there for him for targets. Isn't it Joku confirmed out with COVID or does he have a chance to come back and play? I, I don't know if he, I, 
I do not know that as of this recording, but I would assume that just based on the track record of he got it later than um, Keenan Allen did. So I think he was test positive on Tuesday. So you, I mean, I think up to this point, it's only been like TJ Watt that's actually been able to clear after testing positive for it. So Keenan Allen has a better chance because I think it was his was earlier on a Monday, but David and Joke, if he doesn't play, it's like Hooper. I mean, the target right. should be there for him. Let's go, bro. I think I would go Hooper over Cook, like straight go. up. <laughs> Let's go, man. Because look, <laughs> look, you all, you people all know I don't have many nice things to say about Baker Mayfield. I mean, at least this season. We were all in on Baker before the year. I just want quarterbacks to play well. But if you're not going to play well, then yeah, we're going to have to talk some crap about you. But the one thing Baker can do well that no one can deny is throw to wide open tight ends, which are frequently available in Kevin Stefanski's, you know, play action heavy offense. So with this Browns group, you know, it's one of these situations like similar to Los Angeles where we can't live with three tight ends during any given week. But if you start taking away and we get down to one then we can get behind them as a fancy asset so with cook and the, and the reason why we are okay to handling that exact situation with cook would be because if keenan and mike or one of them are out i think cook probably more or less just becomes a starting receiver in this offense he has played 65 percent of his snaps in the slot or out wide but yeah man if we get uh the joke about in addition to harrison bryant who's already out of the picture with the ankle Give me Austin Hooper over Jared Cook straight up. And I think we can afford to do so. Quickly on the defense, I would like to get up to Cleveland at 2,700. We also got the Jets at 2,500 facing a banged up Taysom Hill. I know we're not going to stack a defense against a quarterback in our cash game lineup, which is something to keep in <laughs> mind there. And, uh, you know, Andrew, you mentioned the Giants, but that's the same thing. Like, I don't... I don't disagree there, but if we're going to have Eckler and Cook in the lineup, then I don't really want to play the Giants defense um, as well. I, I think getting up the Browns at 2,700 is the best bet. They are clearly, other than Buffalo, who's playing freaking Tampa Bay, I think the best defense uh, kind of in this bottom part of the salary scale. And we've seen Lamar. like He can have, he can even get back to doing Lamar things and still take four or five sacks just by virtue of running around a lot. So thoughts on these cheaper defenses, Andrew? Yeah, I think Browns makes sense if you can get up to it at 2,700. I mean, I, I like, I don't actually hate the, I mean, like, I think you could still stack Taysom Hill and the Jets defense together in cash. I don't, I don't think that it really hurts you that much. I mean, if Taysom Hill throws a pick, okay, then that's going to mitigate, you know, I mean, our concerns with Taysom Hill are his passing, right? We're not yeah. concerned about the rushing. So you play the Jets defense, you're basically hedging your bets on, okay, with Taysom Hill throws a couple picks, like um, that's not going to hurt me because maybe in a cash game, you're not trying to win at all. I mean, I would not recommend this in a tournament where that's you, you want to correlate everything. But if anything, it's kind of like, a, I mean, it's a defense. Like you don't really care. I mean, if they get three points, five points, like whatever, it's kind of like a safety net where it's like, all right, if Taysom Hill like totally implodes, okay, Jets defense gets like 20 points, like sick, like I'm safe, like after this Taysom Hill implosion game. So I actually don't think that you need to shy away from Hill and Jets DST if that's kind of how your build kind of, if you can't get up to the Browns. Just an example, a uh, cash game lineup. I've been clicking together here based on all the players that we have talked about. Taysom QB, Eckler, Fournette, Josh Jacobs at running back, going with the three RBs and the flex. Julio Beasley, Renfro receiver, Jared Cook at tight end, Cleveland Browns on defense. Obviously, plenty of other ways to go. We talked about Gibson. Just keep an eye on McKissick. You can also get up to Alvin Kamara up top. Uh, Jamichael Hasty at 4K. If both Mitchell and Wilson are out, Cam versus Taysom is a conversation worth having. Also, you know, paying up for Godwin, Stefan Diggs, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, there's also guys like Ayuk, Russell Gage, I think are cash game viable. We talked enough about the Chargers situation. And yeah, I think that'll about wrap up the cash game portion of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And so let's talk tournaments now. We are trying to take down hundreds of thousands of other people that, you know, we don't know who they are, but screw them on a Sunday because we want to go win that money. Got to be a little bit different to do so. Can't just be playing the chalk each and every time. With that said, what kind of quarterbacks are you looking at really trying to get behind this week? Because I know one of them, Lamar Jackson, I am in full agreement with. Yeah, I think Lamar, I mean, I just, I just play Lamar whenever he's, you know, projected to be sub 5%. You know, he's yeah. just a player that, he's just one of those guys that you need to play when the field is not playing him. And it's not, you know, a reason he's bad or whatever, just the way that things kind of shake out. You know, people are attacking the Buccaneers Bills game, rightfully so, makes a lot of sense. That game is going to be a lot of scoring points. And they're very two two good, very good quarterbacks. But like Lamar Jackson, you know, he's first in expected fantasy points per game in his last three games, except he's, you know, number one in fewest in points scored under expectations. Like that's been the issue. Like he's had every opportunity to be, you know, the QB one that we all draft him to be, but 
he just hasn't been delivering. And you know, that happens, you know, guys go through, go through slumps, but it's not, you know, the long, like we know Lamar Jackson is too talented to continue to just play at this poor of a level. He gets another shot at Cleveland after his atrocious performance against them a couple of weeks back. So yeah, I, I think that we see things like this regress to the mean, like guys slump all the time, and then they come back. So the expected fantasy points are there. That's kind of what I'm looking at. That's more predictive than what he's just done flat out point score over the last couple of weeks. And he's still like been in the teens, like as bad as he has been, it's been like, he actually hasn't like killed you. If you played him season long leagues or whatever, like he hasn't actually like nuked your lineup because of how much rushing equity he has. And I think people are just forgetting about like Lamar Jackson, like, cause you were enamored with Josh Allen, Tom Brady, but you know, mobile quarterback still wins more often than not. So I'm going to go back with Lamar, especially cause he's past catchers are very clear. You know exactly who to stack them with. So, and there's a couple of bring back options I like as well. Hasn't scored a rushing touchdown since week two. He's eighth in the NFL in rushing, and we just go about our daily lives like it's normal for a quarterback to be that productive. And I get it. We've now been watching him do this since, you know, the second half of the 2018 season. We've kind of grown numb to it. But it, it is funny to me, like when we talk about Lamar and Baker and these quarterbacks like that are struggling as a passer right now. And like, we just don't really give Lamar that benefit of the doubt where it's like, hey, but you're also still enabling one of the league's most productive rushing offenses because you're Lamar freaking Jackson. So it's a pretty nice uh, floor to be able to have if you have one of these guys. So obviously you can always stack Lamar with Marquise Brown or Mark Andrews. I think Andrews in particular makes a lot of sense. He absolutely owns uh, this Browns defense over the years. As I pull up the numbers specifically, come on, Ian. Here we go. Four catches, 31 yards, touchdown. Six catches, 93 yards, two touchdowns. Five catches, 58 yards, two touchdowns. Five, 78, 0, and most recently, four catches, 65 yards. And a score other than Rob Gronkowski, I think Andrews has the highest weekly two touchdown upside at the tight end position. Would also bring up, hey man, Patrick Mahomes. He can't do it against anyone against the Raiders, and he happens to be playing the Raiders. So I know it's expensive to get all the way up there at 8K. But you know, Mahomes is someone else where I think if you uh, just would have looked at him this year, and kind of his overall stats, you wouldn't have expected uh, him to be scoring as high as he is in fantasy. I know a lot of that came earlier in the season. I mean, he did not have a finish outside the top nine QBs from week one to week six. Since then, though, he's only had one performance inside the top 16. Just realized during any given week, Lamar and Mahomes have that overall QB1 upside. Moving on to some of the running backs. Saquon Barkley at 6K, Andrew? Like, if we just removed every name from the running back uh, tab, if you just, you know, scrolled over, didn't look at the names, you just looked at the usage, the prices, and the matchups, Saquon would be a lock-button cash game running back. Now, I know we got the problems with the offense, with Saquon, with the quarterback, but just based on touches against the Chargers of all teams, the one squad we know, even when they're facing teams that want to do nothing other than run the ball, like, come on, man. If Saquon isn't going to do it this week, when is he going to do it? No, I'm glad you put it that way because like, that's exactly how I wrote it up in, in the cheat sheet with Saquon Barkley. I was like, look, people, like if it's not going to happen in week 14 against the most inviting run defense in the NFL with checkdowns plenty coming from a third-string quarterback, then it's never going to happen for Saquon Barkley because that's really the case to be made for him here. You know, Tony Pollard is is more expensive than Saquon Barkley is here, and he has a, a torn, you know, plantar fasciitis or whatever is going on in his foot. So, like Barkley, you know, something that I've kind of picked up on, you know, doing the DFS cheat sheet every week, looking at the running backs that kind of like explode, you know, that get those 30, 35 point games is, you know, it's how involved they are in the passing game. Like, it's just those receptions are so crucial, especially in the draft coins PPR format. And Barkley, had a 22% target share last week without Daniel Jones. Like his targets go up in this offense because number one, all the receivers suck. They can't get open, just tons of issues. Everybody's hurt. It's just, it's a mess. So the quarterbacks are not looking to throw the ball down the field. Evan Ingram is out there running wind sprints. Like he doesn't get targeted. So Barkley is such a focal point in the passing game, especially now that you have a third string quarterback in like backup quarterbacks, check the ball down. Like we've seen guys, Michael Carter had an RB one finish with Mike white at quarterback. Like, we shouldn't look at this backup quarterback or Jake Fromm being in under center and be like, oh, like this is even worse for Barkley. It's like, honestly, it just means he's going to get more touches. Like that's, he's their best player on offense right now. So I think that he's going to get featured. The matchup is there. Like you said, with the chargers, second most rushing yards allowed to running backs this season. He's just too involved as a three down back in this offense to not pop. And you know, he's talented. Like that's the other yeah. thing, you know, it, it does matter at some point when you're looking for these explosive games, like, 
if Barkley puts up 30 points against the Chargers, like no one is going to be surprised. So I want to be all over that when he's sub 10% projected roster ship. Man, we both listed three runs. And I, you know, you send me your notes and I, I really don't look at them until after I, I put mine down, you know, trying to trying to keep things unique. I'm just not trying to copy your work, man. I'm not that guy, Andrew. <laughs> I swear, man. Uh, but it's, it is funny. You know, it's almost like that we sit here and talk uh, for over an hour every single week about DFS because we have two of the three same running backs with the other one being at just 5.1K, the lead back of the Titans facing the freaking Jaguars. Of course, I'm talking about Deontay Foreman. Like, Andrew, I feel like all the discussion has been about Dontrell Hilliard. I get it. He's had, you know, two consecutive solid weeks. But Jerry McNichols is... If he's going to steal anyone's work, it is going to be Hilliard's. Foreman seems pretty locked in as this early down back. Matchup couldn't be better. What the hell are we missing here? I just like, I'm hoping that like Derrick Henry texts Deontay Foreman, just like, <laughs> just like three digits, two, zero, zero. Go get him. Like, just like text him like 200. He's like, dude, like somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to rush for 200 yards against this Jacksonville Jaguars defense. And it seems only right that it would come from a Tennessee Titans running back with dreadlocks like Deontay Foreman. So, uh, yeah, he's in a good spot this week. He got the majority of work in the second half against the Patriots. And really, Yontrell Hilliard had that massive run that really just kind of buoyed his overall production. But he was really more involved as the pass catcher the week prior to that. So, yeah, I think that he – I mean, he could be inactive, like, if Jerry McNichols comes back into the lineup. So, it's pretty clear that Foreman has, like, that early down role. I think that he's locked in for at least 12 to 15 touches – he had more expected fantasy points than Foreman did in last week's matchup against the or the two weeks ago uh, against the Patriots. So, yeah, I just think it's a really good spot for him. Yeah, you're not like banking on him catching a lot of passes necessarily, but they should be playing with a positive game script. They're nine point home favorites against the Jaguars, who are just like a mess. And the best part is you can skinny stack him with the Treadwell. Like, I don't see what the problem is, man. <laughs> I don't see it either. One other running back I want to quickly talk about in tournaments is Chuba Hubbard at 5.9K. I understand the concerns like with Amir Abdullah being there. We've talked about this uh, plenty. Like It's not an Alexander Madison situation. No one should have Chuba ranked in the top 10. But you look at the last game he played when like uh, Abdullah was in the picture as I'm pulling it up right now, he still cleared like 20 touches with ease. And again, if they're, yeah, he had 24 carries and two targets in that game. And oh yeah, they were facing the freaking Falcons, uh, same exact matchup. So yes, when we're looking forward, and this is why Chuba wasn't this like, go get him no matter what waiver claim. Bills in week 15, Buccaneers in week 16. Like, no, we're not going to be playing Chuba in those matchups. Like, we would like to win money, not freaking lose our entire life savings, uh, you know, in those weeks. But for week 14 against the Falcons at home in a situation where, hey, maybe he does just work as the featured lead back and Abdullah, who has, hasn't been on the team more than like a couple months at this point. Like, we're making a lot of, you know, gaudy, I think, expectations for Abdullah when Chuba is still the featured back in Carolina. So Joe Brady just got fired because he didn't run the ball enough. Like this should be setting up for Chuba and to a, and to a lesser extent, Cam Newton as well. And at just 5.9K, I think it's a great price point to get off of guys like Antonio Gibson and Josh Jacobs priced just a bit higher. Anything else you want to get off your chest with running backs, Andrew? Uh, no, I'm just the only thing with Hubbard that I am have reservations about is just the, the touchdown equity with, with cam that, cause we, yeah. we haven't seen him really play with cam as the featured back. So I am worried that I think that his path to success really has to be his like rip off a couple of big runs, which obviously he can do against the Atlanta Falcons. Yes. Yeah, so again, not, not saying cash, but tournaments. Okay. I, I, I do love the quote from, uh, from my, my old editor, he's been on the podcast several times, Matthew Friedman over at a, over at a Fade Noise now. Um, FTN doing great stuff, but he wrote it like some random like week 13 DFS thing in like 2017. Like it's, it's poor years of my life when I'm just going through uh, this type of stuff. But he just made the point, you know, contrarianism isn't a license to be an effing moron. And that's what we do need to remember with that. So feel free to hold me honest when I, you know, fall down those like, hey guys, you know, it's a tournament. It's not a cash game play. We still need to make sure that's a good play even when it is a tournament. So good stuff always from at MattFTheOracle on Twitter. Looking now at some wide receivers. Two guys in this Cowboys game I love. C.D. Lamb getting off of the Chris Godwin chalk, similar price point. I mentioned before all the advantages that come with him playing in the slot. I mean, he's great on the outside, too. Like, I I, I was doing my, um, 
wide receiver cornerback article, uh, uh, which I do every single week, find it on pff.com. And, you know, usually I try to answer like at least one, like the first question that kind of pops into my mind about a matchup. I try to find uh, the answer to that when I'm going team by team. And for CD, I was expecting to see his yards per route run like spike when he's in the slot compared to out wide. And it was actually like the opposite. Like he's awesome everywhere. Like there's not any situation where you put CD Lamb on the field and he's worse. And he actually averages more yards per route run out wide compared to the slot. But I just think that shows that we have such a damn good receiver getting fed targets. And now he's in a better area of the field to attack this Washington defense. So all in on CD paying up at wide receiver. And I think that probably should be our general mindset this week, paying up at wide receiver uh, in tournaments because of how much more I think people are going to be trying to do that at running back. Same thing goes for Terry McLaurin, just 7K. Once again, getting off a of Goblin. It's leverage off Antonio Gibson, who will probably be carrying more uh, roster ship there. And with Terry, he has four finishes in the top 10 this year among wide receivers and like seven outside the top 40. So they did face off. You know, he's had three really good games against the Cowboys during his career toasted Trayvon Diggs when they faced off last year to the point where he gave him the little baby cradle rock in the end zone. I mean, it was bad, man. And we again, we, we always know McLaurin has that true like top five, top 10 wide receiver upside. Those are the types of guys we're chasing in tournaments. Uh, mentioned Cole Beasley before and the reasons why I like him against that zone heavy defense. Also talk about Brashad Perryman. And finally, DK Metcalf. I don't know why it didn't happen last week against Josh Norman. Now we got the Texans who truly have the league's worst defense at defending passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield. So if it's not going to happen this week, when the hell is it going to happen for, in my opinion, still one of the most talented wide receivers in the game in DK Metcalf? 6.5K just seems like a slap in the face. Andrew, I know you got a couple different uh, directions to go with this, but we are on the same page with McLaurin, with Metcalf. I like the DJ Moore call, man. Uh, unfortunate stat I found with him. Hopefully it turns around. League high, 21 incompletions to DJ Moore that PFF deemed to be the quarterback's fault. And like last year uh, in the offseason, I did like the most unlucky wide receivers in the league kind of review, looking at things like uncatchable passes. And the clear-cut top two guys were DJ Moore and Jerry Judy. So it just sucks that Moore can't get a better QB. But it's not like that he hasn't had some spike weeks despite that with bad quarterback play under center. Yeah, we just got to get DJ Moore, just like get like slip screens, like just like get, you know, five yard outs. Like, cause the guys can, the guy can make plays after the catch. Like, he's not like this, um, you know, one trick pony wide receiver. He can only go deep. Like, he can win at all facets of the game. Like, he's a, a complete, you know, number one wide receiver. And it just sucks because he should be doing so much more with the opportunities he's getting. You know, he saw 31% target share, 149 air yards from Cam, you know, the week before their bye week. You know, he's actually just one of three receivers on the main slate that we're talking about with Stephon Diggs and Keenan Allen to have a 27% target share this season. Like, he is seeing so much volume in this offense, and the matchup is really good against the Falcons. Now, I know that they do have A.J. Terrell, who's been pretty good this year, but now, Ian, correct me if I'm wrong, so A.J. Terrell doesn't shadow guys. Nope, he just he sticks is, to his side. Yeah, he sticks to his side. So, more will match up with him somewhat, but when he's not matched up with him, I would expect that he – Toast whoever else on the other side of the Atlanta Falcons. I apologize for not knowing the other Atlanta Falcons <laughs> cornerbacks. I, I I apologize. But yeah, I think that especially if you're gonna play Cam like in a tournament, because again, you know, Cam has you know top five upside or like you know, outside the top 24, like it, it's pretty clear who you're gonna play him with is DJ Moore. So I think that he just has a high volume role and he's an explosive player. So I think getting behind DJ Moore makes a ton of sense. Cortland Sutton is someone that I mean, I love so much going heading into the season and then Jerry Judy showed up and and then Carlton Sutton just couldn't do literally anything anymore. He just like totally disappeared and fell off the face of the earth. He hasn't had actually a game with more than two catches since Jerry Judy. It's has, so gross. Has, it's so <laughs> gross. So of course now I'm touting him as a tournament play, but here, <laughs> here, here's my reasoning to get behind Sutton is, so they're playing the Lions defense. So Enough said. <laughs> <laughs> really. But we, we know that someone has to score points for Bron the Broncos here. Like, usually, obviously, we're gravitating more towards the running backs, but it's still a good matchup for the wide receivers. We saw Justin Jefferson, who is the reigning air yards king, just absolutely go nuclear against the Lions last week. And 
you know, before the season, you know, during the start of the season, Corlin Sutton was up there. Like he was on the throne of air yards for a little bit through like the first six or seven weeks of the season. So it was encouraging to see him see at least like six targets last week. I know like that, that doesn't sound like a lot, but for Corlin Sutton, like six targets was like a big step in the right direction. So I do think that Corlin Sutton, like as a guy that does see a lot of vertical shots, he did see some shots from Teddy Bridgewater last week. He said a bunch of air yards. So I do think that Corlin Sutton is kind of interesting um, at 5,300 just because, you know, he's going to have to, he's too good of a player in my opinion to just totally dud out for the rest of the season. I still think that he's too talented of a player. So especially, you know, as a guy that plays in the late window, I believe, you know, Corlin Sutton, I can't tell you how many teams I've swapped on to Corlin Sutton late as a late swap because it's like, well, I'm dead. Like, Corlin Sutton, please save me. So maybe that's the approach with Sutton. And then the last guy, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Like, so people were, you know, excited about Peoples-Jones, you know, his role that he would take on with Odell Beckham Jr. out of the lineup. And it didn't really transpire. He had, like, one big game. He played the Patriots. They shut him down. He got J.C. Jackson. You know, the last time he played the Ravens, he got a lot of Marlon Humphrey, so he didn't really do that much. But, you know, who's gone? Uh, Marlon Humphrey's gone. Like, he's not playing anymore for the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens, even with Humphrey in the lineup, ranked in the bottom three in terms of explosive pass play rate allowed to wide receivers. Peoples-Jones is the explosive element of the Cleveland Browns offense. Like, he is their big play threat. So, you know, he's top five in yards per reception this year. So, if Baker Mayfield, I mean, this is going to be the healthiest he's probably ever been at any point in the season coming off the bye week. If they're going to do some hard play action with Peoples-Jones and attack this banged-up secondary, like, that's what it's going to be. So, I think under 4K, Peoples-Jones – has a ton of upside, especially with people more or less gravitating towards Landry, especially how he went over 100 yards the last time they played the Ravens. Peoples-Jones, you know, he's a full-time player in this offense. I think it makes a ton of sense against a super banged-up Ravens secondary. It looked like we were going to be partying like it was the second half of 2020. Again, in <laughs> Cleveland, that first game without Beckham, Peoples-Jones, you know, double move, goes deep. Baker hits him in stride. Hopefully... We get that version of Baker. He is healthy. And to your point, that would result in Peoples-Jones having a big game. Love that call. Quickly go over some tight ends before we get out of here. Man, like, I think maybe when it becomes more apparent that Bryant and the Joku could both be out, we'll see Austin Hooper's uh, roster ship percentage go up. But, Andrew, if it's going to stay under 5%, man, we'll put him in cash and tournament lineups alike uh, to go try to save that cheese. We also got Rob Gronkowski, 6K. He's priced 1.4K under Travis Kelsey, who don't look now, but he's outscored on a per-game basis this year. So this really is Gronk from the past. He's averaging more yards per outrun than he has since 2017 at this point. I think we can continue to go to the well with all these Tampa Bay receivers in tournaments, and that does include Gronk. And also, post-hype bounce back for Fossil Moreau. No longer cost 2.7K, still a very affordable 4K. I mean, he's not Darren Waller, but he still is potentially a number two pass game option in this Raiders offense and you know we have seen the Raiders engage in a few shootouts against the Chiefs in the past years so just keep loading up on Hooper I do like going up to Gronk I just don't think he deserves to be priced that much uh, uh, beneath Travis Kelsey and Foster Moreau post hype bounce back Andrew we talked a little about Mark Andrews before I like the Dawson Knox call. Like, he does this, man. He had three drops the week before. He scored two touchdowns on Thanksgiving. It's just part of the experience. And, oh, yeah, he was playing in a freaking blizzard. Yeah, I, Dawson Knox is getting so much opportunity in the Bills' offense. I hit on it earlier. Like, he is, like, this pseudo number two wide receiver on his team. Like, he's running more routes than Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley, and he's a tight end. So, he's clearly behind Stephon Diggs, at least in my opinion, at least what I've been seeing. And the matchup is good for him against the Buccaneers. Buccaneers gave up a massive game a couple of weeks ago to our guy, Jack Doyle, like, you know, a tight end one performance. So clearly the Buccaneers can give up these huge games to opposing tight ends. I'm looking at their stats right now, but they, they rank in the bottom four. Oh, so yeah, bottom four in terms of receptions allowed to tight ends over the last four weeks. So yeah, I think Dawson Knox, you know, he's at a weird price point. He's at 5K. Usually you don't like to pay up like in that middle tier of tight end because you just don't get a lot of value. But I think that it makes a lot of sense. You're, you're playing Josh Allen. You want to double stack him. I really think that the ideal double stack is Stephon Diggs and Dawson Knox. Um, I just, I don't like necessarily Beasley as Emmanuel Sanders as much as I like Knox in this matchup. Couple 
quick defense running backs combinations as always nick chubb and the browns defense we mentioned how we liked the browns before chubb always capable of ripping off some of those monster runs and stealing away the slate talked about chuba we can also go with the panthers against matt ryan's and the falcons offense that as we know has been quite terrible all year and another guy we didn't really talk about much but i like it let's go on the other side of that cleveland game get the ravens defense against baker who maybe he isn't healthier maybe he still sucks and we can also get <laughs> Devontae freeman who don't look now but he's like really establishing himself as more and more man like getting closer to that not not borderline rb1 but he's like a top 15 top 16 running back i think in terms of usage here over the past few weeks like we've, we've talked about at, at, at nauseum andrew like how the impact of having a mobile quarterback can be on these running backs but when we get the situation like in baltimore right now where freeman is establishing himself as almost like the only i know latavius gets some snaps here and there but like really especially last week we saw freeman take over that backfield more than we have all year we can live with the dual threat quarterback if he only has one running back to also split the work with so something to keep in mind with baltimore any other defense that are catching catching your eye this week andrew um falcons because they suck in real life but we've, we've seen the cam newton experience go which way you know it it, it it can go a lot of different ways with cam like he can be really good or just really terrible so falcons a defense makes a lot of sense and then tampa bay so you know you can pair him with leonard fournette like you're talking about the running back defensive pairings like tampa bay's at sub two percent roster ship projection and i know they're not like the cheapest defense they're above 3k but look we see this all the time with dsts you play dsts in shootouts because they're like which what defense do you think is going to face the most dropbacks this week it's tampa bay right yeah. like yeah. so they, that's going to create opportunities for sacks turnovers because Josh Allen and the Bills are going to have to press. The, they can't run the football. Like, they can't run the football against, like, average run defenses. And they're sure as hell not going to be able to run it against the freaking Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. So, I think Tampa Bay, I honestly don't know why they're so under the radar. Because it makes perfect sense. You stack them with Leonard Fournette. The Bills are playing with a negative game strip. Josh Allen throws a couple picks here and there. Bada bing, bada boom. And you're golden. <laughs> they are getting healthier, too. Carlton Davids, uh Carlton Davis, excuse me, is back in action. So that's like, that was the only kind of critique. I think it was uh, Mina Kimes had like Steven Ruiz, both a fantastic analyst that uh, Steven's over at the, uh, the Ringer now, Mina, obviously ESPN, but I think they did a preseason podcast where they were like trying to pick holes in this Tampa Bay roster. And the only thing they could come up with was like the lack of depth they had at cornerback, which we saw rear its ugly head throughout the year. But now that we're getting that back, like this was, you know, we had that Cowboys game in week one where Cooper and uh, CD both went bonkers and i think that really skewed some of those past defense stats like i was uh doing my mismatch manifesto and like this is a top seven or eight defense in a uh, net yards allowed uh, net passing yards allowed per drop back so they really have gotten a lot better they have the sort of horses on the defensive line to uh, make some pressure i love that call i'm not going with buffalo defense because oh, it's no. tom Brady, <laughs> Brady, but i do like that uh Buccaneers. josh allen like We'll probably know by the end of the first quarter if we made the right call or not because Josh, like, again, week one, he was PFF's 16th highest grade QB as a passer. Since then, he's been top 10 or outside the top 20. So if we get the bad version of Josh Allen this week, which we've seen quite a few times this year, uh, could be a big afternoon for that Bucks D. Good call, Mr. Erickson. Great call on uh, George Kittle last week. I'm not saying we were the only podcast to uh, bring it up, but you really had a more... Uh, a better over, I don't know. You were really passionate about it and you got me on him and all my lineup. So good job by you, Andrew. Let's talk about our favorite stack of the week. I will quickly start it off with Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, and we will bring it back with, ooh, ooh. Do we go double tight end stack? Andrews Hooper action? Let's do it. Lamar, Andrews, Hooper, double tight end stack. Great day to be great. What is yours, Andrew? Yeah, I'm going with, uh, I feel like I talk about Joe Burrow a lot on this podcast, but I'm, I'm going to go back to it. Like it just, Chase cannot, I'm going to keep chasing Chase. Okay, that's that's what I'm going to do here. You know, he was one away, one touchdown turned interception away from a 70 yard touchdown last week. And, you know, myself and Ben Brown, we do the, the prize picks betting article. We went three and one because Jamar Chase, didn't hit the over on his on his receiving yards prop. We were we were like so close to a perfect week, and of course, you know, we we felt just short of it because of Jamar Chase. But I'm going back to him, Joe Burrow. Don't I'm not too concerned about the finger. You know, the, the targets that you stack him with are clear with T Higgins, Jamar Chase, and if you don't believe me, just check out the PFF wide receiver cornerback matchup chart. Like both of those top Bengals receivers are absolutely popping in that chart. Joe Mixon is is sick. 
Like, like I, I know that we talk about illness, at least in years past, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like illness usually was never like a really thing we were super concerned about. Yeah. But like this year in particular, it seems like when guys get like sick, even non COVID, it's like they miss games and they're like limited. And so maybe they don't necessarily feature Mixon as much. They lean more on the passing game, which you can do against the 49ers defense. So I like Burrow double stacks. Now for the main event, the prop proffered himself 2 0 last week. LaVisca Chenault under 45 and a half yards. That's just, man, if you just took his under every single week this year, I think you would be a pretty <laughs> rich man. He finished with just 30 receiving yards. Oh my God. I, he literally only played 53% snaps last week. Like we have all these injuries and LaVisca Chenault still doesn't even have a full time role. That, that is just. That was just wild. And then also Josh Allen under 265 and a half passing yards. You know, people, it's it's legal in 2021 to look up the weather before, you know, a couple hours before the game. Usually a good way to find some unders like that in these bad weather games. Andrew, what do you have for the people this week? Yeah, no, it was it was crazy to see how the line like because I got I think I had bet that, you know, on like Tuesday of last week because I had looked mm-hmm. at the like the early lines. Like I took an under. It was like a three parlay. So it was like a Mac Jones under passing yards. Stefan Diggs underpassing yards and then just like comically seeing like the numbers and then obviously how it played out where Mac Jones threw for like 19 passing yards just absolutely absolutely hysterical I wish it's like I wish I just bet more unders but uh alas we're moving on to week 14 so this week we're going back to the unders because that's really honestly how you win more often than not Derek Carr under 265 and a half passing yards so he hasn't hit this in he's only hit this once in his last four games and I, I'm concerned about the matchup against the Chiefs defense. I, I get that, you know, if you look season long, oh, the Chiefs defense, like great matchups, like, oh, Patrick Mahomes is going, like the narrative is Patrick Mahomes is going to force the other offense to, you know, be more aggressive. And that's not the case anymore because the, the yeah. Chiefs offense is not the same Chief offense has been in years past. So, again, they've allowed just one quarterback to throw for more than 265 passing yards since week seven. They haven't allowed a 300-yard passer since week five. And basically, so that was Josh Allen that was able to do that in week five. The Chiefs, since that game, the Chiefs have allowed just 228 passing yards per game uh, to opposing quarterbacks. So again, the PFF projections have Carr at 244 passing yards. That's 20 yards under his forecasted total here from the line. So yeah, look, I mean, Derek Carr, like he's fine, but he's not a quarterback I'm afraid of. Oh man, he's going to burn me. It's like, dude, like I'm not afraid. Like the Chiefs have great corners like who is he going to be connecting with downfield it's interesting i was looking at like yards per reception um like the guys that are top in the league and i think it's like henry ruggs is one and brian edwards is like three and it's like okay well brian edwards is not going to be doing anything against uh fenton you know the, the chief's top corner is pff's highest graded cornerback this year so i'm like so where are these big plays coming from like yes we love renfro but renfro is not going to get you know Derek Carr to anywhere close to like 265 passing yards in my opinion right. so I, I think that the Derek Carr under, especially it's on the road outside, not in the dome like it was last time. I mean, he, he didn't even hit this when they played the Chiefs the last time. So, you know. You say it's 265 and a half? Yep, 265 and a half for Derek like Carr that. under. Like that. And then I'm going under again, and it's just, dude, I'm just, it's free money. Just take unders on Jaguars wide receivers, honestly. At this point. <laughs> like, that's like really, and I wasn't even going to come up with this because my other prop on the article that I wrote up is actually Josh Jacobs over on his rushing yards, but. The great people, the PFF subscribers, shout out to you guys. Uh, the line has already moved because you guys have been pounding the over on it, so it's already <laughs> up. So, like, uh, we got it at 46 and a half. It's up to 55, 52 Jeez. and a half rushing yards. So, um, you can still bet the over on Josh Jacobs, but the line isn't nearly as good. So, I wanted to come with something a little bit different. So, Marvin Jones, his prop is at 37 and a half receiving yards. And, I mean, the dude has hit that twice in his last five games he's only gone over it like four times on the year like it's just dude like marvin jones is the cardio king man like he's just out there <laughs> running routes with like a rashad perryman level s cardio it's it, marvin jones like dude he's just not gonna hit it so i, I don't trust like laquan treadwell is leading this team in targets for the last two weeks marvin jones his receiving yards totals in the last six games 35 21 35 52 43 11 and basically, besides that one game he had against Miami where they had both their backup cornerbacks in the game, he has pretty much done nothing all season long. So when I look at a prop and I find like, okay, why should I bet the over on this? There's no reason to bet the over on Marvin Jones whatsoever. He had one catch against the Titans the last time they played them, one catch for 25 yards on six targets. So <laughs> you know what? 
Uh, yeah, Marvin Jones is going to take the, taking the under until they, they until they move the line to 20 yards or something like that. Then sure, I'll bet the over. But right now, just keep betting Jaguars receivers unders. Andrew, back in March, I told you I wanted to be real ageist this year and just fade all these old <laughs> football players. And I'm mad I didn't stick to it a little bit more because Marvin Jones was on there, but then we looked at the targets and he was starting to have a good couple early weeks. So, you know, I probably had a little more exposure to Marvin than I would have planned earlier in the offseason, but I just pulled it up again. And we have Marvin Jones, AJ Green, Larry Fitzgerald. Obviously, you know, we'll, we'll count that as a win, even though he's uh, retired. <laughs> T.Y. Hilton, Emmanuel Sanders, kind of similar to Marvin started off well fell off a little bit edelman retired david johnson mark ingram wolf adrian peterson frank gore sorry man zach Ertz, jared cook a lot of reasonable ones i, I definitely want to count Ertz as a win but the just huge huge l rob gronkowski no he is not too old people my goodness well dude but, it's, it's tough to evaluate he's coming off you know he had so much time off he retired for a little yeah. bit he came off he's also i mean i guess he stands out differently because he's like arguably the greatest of all time at his <laughs> right. position so like that's kind of like what makes him different than every other every other guy's just old like he's old and just happens to also be the best tight end in nfl history, that's the so. that's the lesson we'll learn if the player is potentially the best player to ever play their position in nfl <laughs> history you know that's why tom brady didn't make the list we should right. have uh done that for gronk <laughs> as well so all due respect to uh frank gore and his never-ending quest to uh go get all those rushing yards Andrew, that's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Everyone can find your work on PFF.com. You're on here multiple times a week as well. Over at PFF.com, you got your stardom, sit them, buy low and sell high targets based on high value opportunities, your fantasy football rankings, waiver wire pickups every Monday, and the DFS cheat sheet will be out soon. And as you mentioned, you and Ben are always doing some good stuff with the prize picks. And as you listeners have found out this year, hitting on an awful high rate on these uh awfully high rate on the props has not been an awful rate it's been a very good one anything else you want to get off your chest my friend no man uh it's where you're heading into the last week of the regular season and dude like i know that we did all those best ball drafts in the summertime like it's starting to come to fruition like some of these teams are advancing i know i have one team in particular that's just like a total like bucks onslaught that i think like that's probably my best team so i'm just like every time the bucks do good i'm like yeah that's my team it's like the one team that i didn't draft uh, Ronald Jones and drafted Fournette <laughs> instead. So yeah, I feel good about that team. <laughs> yeah, I love all those uh, Raheem Moser and Saquon Barkley best ball teams uh, that I put together back in the summer. For Andrew, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. 